0: Yeah, yeah. Rockefeller. We invite you to something epic, you know? Where we hustle out of a sense of hopelessness, sort of a desperation. Through that desperation, we become addicted, sort of like the fiends we accustomed to serving. Where we feel we have nothing lose, so we offer you, well. We offer our lives, right, right. what do you bring to the table? Why well, I'm watching every nigga watching me closely My shit is butter for the bread they wanna toast me I keep my head both of them where they supposed to be Holes that get you sidetracked and clap from close feet I don't sleep, I'm tired, I feel wired like Codeine These days a rubber gotta admire me from four fiends away My pain was shit was quick to see From selling canes and brains was fried to a fricassee I can't lie, at the time it never bothered me at the bar, getting my dog on. Properly, my squad and me lack of respect for authority. Laughing hard, happy to be escaping poverty. However, brief, I know this game got valleys and peaks. Expectation for dips, for precipitation, we stack chips. Hardly, the youth I used to be. Soon to see a million, no more. Big Willie, my game is grown. Prefer you call me William, illing for revenues. wait for lemon like Channel 7 News, round 7 juice, Head get in the mic. Forgetting all I ever knew Convenient amnesia I suggest you call my lawyer I know the procedure Block my body, can't trap my mind Easily explain why we adapt to crime I'd rather die enormous than live dormant That's how we own it Live at the main event I better trip them out, we on it Presidential suites my residential for the weekend Confidentially speaking in code since I sent you beacon The in excess rental, don't be fooled my game is mental We both out of town dog. what you trying to get into? Viva, Las Vegas, see ya Later at the crab tables, meet me by the one that starts a G Yo, This way no fraud willies, present gambling, they re And we can have a pleasant time sipping margaritas G-G-G, yeah Can I live?
1: Welcome to the thesis, Kenneth. First, I would like to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to participate in season one of my podcast. Beyond that, I would like to thank you for being a foundational component for me launching this pro- this platform. Reason being, several years ago, you invited me to an online radio show that you were being interviewed for. And I thought to myself, like, man, I could do this. You know, this, this should be pretty easy. And uh, ever since then, I kind of held on to it. And I was like, man, I'm going to launch a podcast. I'm going to launch a podcast. I can do this. I can do this. You know, it took some time and here we are, you know, and I'm glad that that inspirational, conversation, that inspirational moment led to where we are now. And what I've done throughout this season thus far is give people their flowers while I have the opportunity to do so. And for that, brother, I salute you. Additionally, I would like to say as a foundational component You have been an inspiration in my life because we we have this thing called rules. And there's a lot of rules that we've talked about over the years that have been essential in building me from a young man to the man I am today. So additionally, with that, I I salute you. Um, I hope that our listeners will conclude this chapter feeling enriched, gaining some understanding, and possibly utilize the information shared in this chapter. We have so much to discuss, brother. And I am anxious to hear your input, and stating this, let's jump right into the conversation for our listeners, please provide an introduction of who you are and what makes you a subject matter for this particular chapter. Well, first and foremost, I appreciate you having me
2: um, I think this is uh you know we have multiple interviews in our in our relationship right and and throughout life I think that's uh that's something that's been a very common thread. Uh, in our in our brotherhood and our friendship uh, over the years, I think that's how we've kind of gotten to to where we are today. Um, steel and steel, right? So um, I think we we have that uh, really strong bond in our relationship. With that said, um, I am a small business owner currently, um, franchise owner for Caring Transitions, which is a senior relocation. Uh, company liquidation, and we, we help people throughout some tough times in their life get to the next stage and in, in, in where they need to be physically uh, or helping their families. I um, have a history in uh, the medical field and physical therapy uh, for 12, over 11 years, 12 years prior to that, military and other small businesses. And uh, and, and you've walked with me very, very closely through a lot of, of, of the, that entire journey uh, from, from childhood. So, um, I appreciate you giving me the, the opportunity to be on this platform and, uh, to enjoy this conversation. I think, uh, one of the things that really got us here was understanding the rules you live by. Shout out to my dad for that. Uh, just, just the jewels that, that he's, he's truly, you know, placed in my life at pivotal times in my life. Uh, and it's, it's given us a, a chance to, to really reflect on, on who we are, where we are, and where do we get where we're going?
1: I would say that some of the biggest rules that I've learned, not only from you, but other people that have been inspiring to me is the rules I've seen of them enacting. So there's some things I've learned from you without me even discussing it with you, i.e., this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I had mentioned, like, man, that was a dope idea, But I didn't go into depth as to how that small moment years ago was like, okay, I can do this. Some of my interactions with women has been because of some of the conversations that we've had over the years. And you know, I'm hoping that once again, for my millennial listeners and the generation after that of listeners. We'll get some tools from here. But um, that that leads me right into the next question. Um, According to the website census.gov, the multiracial population has changed considerably since 2010. It was Mm. measured at 9 million people in 2010 and is now 33.8 million people in 2020. That is a 276% increase in, in, in 10 years. And that could be for several reasons. There's a lot of people that don't fill out the census for whatever reason that may be, religious reasons, they, they just don't feel comfortable in it, whatever the case may be. But there's a number of reasons why that can be, and that's here nor there. However, this is not new to you because you come from a multiracial background. For our listeners, please explain what it was like being multiracial growing up in a Black community and Black family in the 1980s through 1990s well i think it's important to state that
2: being raised in, in in the culture and the society uh where first and foremost you know being in a um a mixed household and, and having the intelligence of my mother who was just absolutely brilliant i think she she was she was colorblind herself right so my mom being black my dad being white and then there being a broken home in the mix of that, where the, the the parents were separated and then my stepdad was black. So our household was, I would say a standard black household family, going from that culture to my dad's home, where even though he was, you know, white male, black wife, that you know, they they had a different culture of their household. You what I saw was the difference in behavior not a difference in skin color, right? My mom raised me to be colorblind. It didn't matter to me what anyone else's culture or race was, because look at the blend in my family. I remember my mom has this story where she would discuss, or she would talk about how my brother and I, 11 months apart, my older brother and I, and we're, you know, being, you know, our hands are being held and, we're being pushed in a, in a grocery cart by this black lady. And when and we're just normal kids. If we act up, we act up in the grocery store. You know, my mom would yell at us, smack us in the mouth, whatever it is. And she got approached by a, an older white lady one time, and said, those aren't your kids, don't you touch those kids. And uh, my mom almost put the hands of God on her, you know, in the grocery store, right? Um, almost Not the hands the religion, of God. Almost lost her religion over it, right? And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think one of the first challenges that I really recognize, because as a kid, you don't know what you don't know, right? You're taught hatred, right? You're, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not bred with this, this thought of this person is different from me. What you, what you really have uh, inside of you is, is love the willingness to help and be around others, right? When you see somebody hurting or struggling, your initial thought is, and there's this, there's been studies on this, right, where where people's initial response or reaction is to help somebody, right? So when we when we don't do those things, it's because the things that, that we see around us show us that those things are not okay to do. Being colorblind. To me, it's just an extension of that, right? You don't care what somebody else is. You don't care about their culture, right? Um, you don't care about their, the color of their skin. So being raised in a household that was mixed, uh, for me, just allowed me to, to, to further that notion of, of not caring about skin tone or color outside of the home because it was never a thing inside
1: the home, be it my mom or my dad's house. I will say this, we've known each other for quite some time since 1996, and I didn't realize what cultural biases I had until I became friends with you and your brother. Mm -hmm. And we've talked several times about how somebody we went to high school with said something to me like, uh, what's up with that white dude you're hanging out with? And I was confused who the hell they was talking about, you know what (laughs) I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I'm like, I they must have caught the confused face. And they I was like, you know, well, well, who are you talking about? You know, yeah. the tall guy. You know, you've always been the, oh, the, the tall guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, did, yeah. yeah. and I'm like, who, Ken? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep this story short. We've talked about it, <laughs> but uh in so many words, I was extremely offended. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was extremely affected. I, the I same
2: remember. Can, can we can we jump into it a little bit? Can we can we jump into that? Just, you know. Yeah. For, yeah. For go ahead. Sense. Go ahead. So our, our school, the school we went to was a very mixed school at that time. But the schools we came from before going to that school was a predominantly inner city black school, traditionally black school. Right. It was it was. And, and there were things that the, the culture is just different, the education is different, the opportunities are different. We were different, right? We had we're coming to this, you know, multicultural and multiracially, you know, charged school, because it was. You had you had different echelons, different levels of, of success in this in this high school. I don't know if this made it on the podcast, but I remember going from you know an inner city school in Cincinnati, Woodward High School. Uh, where if as long as you came to to class, you passed, right? It, it was it was very similar to you
1: know, the struggles. High.
2: yeah, the struggles, right, of Eastside High, the, the from the violence to you know to the drugs, and, and and there was just different opportunities at this new high school that we went to, right? And we walk into this high school and. and we're in the in the principal's office, high school, super clean, right? I mean, you could see you could see that they just mopped the floors, you know. You could see that the, the walls are wiped down.
1: Yeah, you could see a reflection in the, in, the, in the floors. In the, in the floors, exactly, right?
2: And so we're sitting in the we're sitting in the in the principal's office trying to enroll. We're midway through school, the, the school year, right? This is like December timeframe or something like this, and. My brother comes running, he goes to the bathroom, he comes running back. He's like, yo, Ken, the bathrooms is clean. And I was like, no, it ain't. And we dart off to the bathrooms and um, there, was, there was the light bulbs worked in the bathrooms. You know, the toilet's flush, it was, it was clean. It was, it, that was a, a little bit of a, of a culture shock, right? So um, now we're in this environment where we have the ability to succeed. And it's odd that that's where people had a problem with with, the, with with us being, you know, our our relationship, our friendship being so close and being biracial because this was a, a a biracial school. So it's it, it's that's it's a weird statement to to have come across or, or have had to have even dealt with. And uh, I remember talking to you because you came to me and you told me I I don't know the reference of time, I don't know if it was that day or you know something like this. We used to walk to the bus stop, and picking your fro out. Hey, yo, Kimmy, how long is my hair today? You know what I mean? I, I think that's that's around the time- Good point. Time. But yo, know, this dude said, you know what I'm saying, this white dude, and he was talking about you, and I was like, yo, B, I am white, and, I'm, and I am black, right? I'm both, just there's, there's, make no mistake about it. I accept both sides. And I love both sides of who I am. If I had Native American in me, if I had, you know, any other any other race, you know, South American, Spanish, I would accept everything of who I am—the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Because I can only be me. So the fact that that's all he identified said something. But what said even more was the fact that you did not identify me in that category. And not that it, it, it bothered me, but it made it open my eyes to say, Let, "Let's let's get there together." Like this is, I am biracial, right? It's okay for me to be white. It's okay for me to be white. It's okay for people to see that I'm white. It's okay for people to see that I'm black, right? Because for a long time I wasn't accepted in either community, right? I was too too black to be white, too mm-hmm. white to be black, right? Mm-hmm. But I had a great foundation at home,
1: that and I think huge. that's. I think that's the, the component. And I it's one of those things has, that has stuck with me because I just looked at you like my own boy. I didn't mm-hmm. see the, I didn't really see the, the color, lack of color, and none of that. You know what I'm saying? I just right. like, I was genuinely confused by what dude was talking about. You know what I'm saying? And once it came clear to me that he was talking to you, talking about you, um, for anybody that's known me a considerable amount of time, know that uh, I've struggled with my loyalty, and that's something that uh, we'll talk about later. And because, like I said, I was offended, I I, I responded from that place of of offense. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just close in that that uh, that statement. Yeah, I'll just close in that statement. So that leads me to the next thing because it's a good segue into what we were just talking about. How did you overcome some of the negative opinions and misunderstandings of classmates and family members? Like perfect segue, right? So how did so you, how did you manage those things?
2: Based off the rules you live by,
1: right? You,
2: you give, you give energy, you give power to the things you give energy to, right? I was uh, just, just speaking on, on, a, on a racial aspect of, of those challenges. For instance, I was 12 years old and I went to the movie theater. It was like a double date. And this chick was, I think, 14 or something like this, right? We're walking. Double, double dates at 12? Double dates, 12, 13 years old, right? Um, yeah, we had like $6 in our pocket, man. We got French fries and went to the dollar theater, you know? And we hey, bought, we bought. say
1: that again for the people in the back that didn't hear you. You used to be able to go on a <laughs> double date. Like a With full $6. functioning, <laughs> full functioning date with six whole dollars. You could get a biggie fry, you know, a biggie drink. Movies, right. And go to, and buy two tickets to the movies and be straight. Like right. and the, the girl that
2: I was I was going with was a white girl, right? And we were with two mixed the, the, the two the, the people we were double dating with, uh they both were mixed, both black and white families, right? And the girl that um, that brought me along and introduced me to my date, right? her Their, their parents were, were super cool. The mom was black on, on one side, the other. The, the girl I was with, her mom was white. When her mom found out that I was mixed, she comes up to the theater, pulls her daughter out of the theater, and I'm all kinds of, you're not dating my daughter type of thing. My daughter will not date a nigger is what she said. I'm 12. It is, I, I was... I wasn't devastated at that time, but my mind was blown at the time, like yo, she's so ignorant, she's so ignorant, and the girl she 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 got up and actually left with her mom and and never really had much conversation following that, right, but at twelve i didn't I didn't give that energy. I was like, well, you have you, have, you just have dumb people, you just have stupid people, right? That was like the first instance where an adult really came at me from a racially biased standpoint that I recognized, you know, that there were going to be issues down the line with this, right? But I didn't give it energy. I didn't give it power. Uh, I just let it die where it died, right? In that, in that moment, in that time. But it just, it, it allowed me to be aware that, hey, these things can, can, can come across later. So by the time our interaction happened where somebody approaches you with this racially charged conversation, I I, I had years, well, we, were, we were 16, 17 at that time, right? So, you know, by that time, I had a few years to, to kind of, you know, understand you have to let people go. Rejection is a favor, right? When people reject you, let them go, right? Because they're telling you that they're holding you back from something. So that's kind of where, where I would stand with that and that energy, you know, don't, don't give it to him. Don't, don't give them the power, you know, move
1: on. You just threw out another one of the rules and I want to, I don't want us to breeze past Ooh. one of those rules I live by. And I tell people this quite often and I put your name on it. Ain't that what Birdman say? You know, you <laughs> put some respect on my name, right? Respect so, on my name. so, and I put your name on it. I tell people all the time that rejection is a favor. And sometimes people have the same response that I had when you first told. I remember when you told me that, that was like. I remember
0: your response.
1: <laughs> like, Yo, man, you don't make any sense. That makes no sense. No sense. How is rejection a favor? Mm-hmm. But now that I look back on it, and it, it, it's kind of like the quote that your dad said, that we'll, we'll unwrap that in a little bit. But mm-hmm. it was one of those things that you threw out there. It was a talking point real mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. And I I wasn't in a place to embrace it until I was able to embrace it, you know, until I was able to apply it. I took mm-hmm. it in on the strength of me knowing you, but I it took some time for me to be able to apply it. You know, that's when it goes from it being information to applied knowledge, from applied mm-hmm. knowledge to wisdom. You know what I'm saying? So when you hit me with it, it was just information. I'm I'm gonna take heed to it because you're my homeboy. But then it became applied knowledge, like, oh, this is what Ken was talking about. As an example, I always tell people this that are kind of confused. I give them the example that you gave me when I was confused, which is this, and I'll I'll make a long story. I'll make a fat one skinny. That's that's another Mm -hmm. one of our rules, right? Is, so I tell people, how many times I've told men, how many times have you chased a woman for months, years, trying to take her out on a date, trying to hang out with her? You're doing this, you're doing that, and she keeps rejecting you. Oh, I'm dating someone. Oh, I got this going on X, Y, Z. So then finally she pulls some time out of her busy life to be with you. And you realize she's selfish, or you realize that she's a cheater, or you realize she got some other things going on with her. Mm -hmm. You should have took those other opportunities as a favor. Now you got to deal with the applied knowledge of realizing that I've been chasing this woman for six months. I've been chasing this woman for a year on and off. Now I realize why she's always single. Now I realize that, okay, as beautiful or as pretty as she is, why she's always in and out of something because she's problematic, you know? And I'm just paraphrasing what you were saying. We had, you know, that was an at length conversation, but I'm paraphrasing what, how I try to explain that thought process to someone. You know, not everything is for you. There's there's a great resignation that's taking place right now. And there's a lot of people, even though we have 10 million plus jobs that's available and there's seven to eight million people that can take those jobs, there's still people receiving rejection letters from employers. Take that, for my listeners, if you are receiving rejection letters as you're trying to apply for a different position, take that as a favor. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know that might not be a good fit for you. That might not be a good fit for your lifestyle, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. take that as a favor. I I know getting rejected from a job when you're trying to find a job does not feel good. But what if you got that job and you realize the hours don't work for you? The culture of the building doesn't work for you. Mm -hmm. There's, There's things within that culture of that business that does not align with who you are as a person. So take that rejection letter as a favor. But that leads me into my next question. As you know, I was born to teenage parent, parents. This is something that because you became a father, I believe, at 19 years old. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Although you had completed high school, that still does not change the realities of life that you must have faced becoming a young father. Some of those challenge, challenges I've witnessed, you've overcome. However, I would like for you to give our listeners a glimpse of what you were thinking when you receive the news that your life will be changing forever. Uh I was happy and I was scared. I had no
2: future and and no solid future
1: planning ahead of me,
2: right? Didn't have college. Then I'm a workhorse. Right. If there's one thing one thing that I had on, on my side was that I, I I will work and there's no there's no pride in what I would what I would do for work. Right I would sacrifice i would work i would i would ride my bike to three jobs right there was no uh there was no quit in me as far as that goes, so I was afraid because I didn't know what I was doing, but I was happy I knew I would be able to provide it some to some level to some extent because I was always willing to work I was always willing to to get out there and make it happen. I never gave excuses for work if um I remember when, when, uh, when his mom was pregnant, she couldn't work for a certain period of time. We had gotten into a, an accident, right? Somebody hit my car. My mom was driving the car, first little car I bought for like six hundred bucks, right? Somebody hit us and, and total, my, my vehicle. And my, you know, son's mother uh, had no vehicle. We, we, she was pregnant at that time, right? And I had to. I had to get on my grind. I had to get a bike from Toys R Us. And I was riding this bike to three jobs, right? All just above minimum wage, if not minimum wage at the time. You're talking what was it like uh 649, 680 something like this an hour, right? Um I mean it was big bucks back then, you know.
1: So uh once again worked, we're not worked. we're not far away from you can make some things happen for ten dollars then this is right late 90s yeah, what 2000s 50, yeah. early right. early 2000s yeah right you know i it wasn't even
2: a thought to okay i, I got it if i don't want to walk i better i better grab a bike right if i don't want to wait on that bus i better ride that bike and where we live there was no bus route right Do you remember that there was no bus route so it was either walk or, or grab this bike. So I went to Toys R Us and grabbed a 10-speed, and there were so many hills along the way, I would break the pedals on this bike. I'm not a small guy, right? I'd break the pedals on this bike two, three times a week. I walked this bike as much as I rode this bike. And, and Toys R Us was like coming the bike, to, The like, bike I, became your buddy. <laughs> yeah, it, it became one of my, my road dogs, right? One of my besties, you know? So, what I Toys R Us
1: tell you about breaking the pedals every other day? Man, Toys R Us is like, I don't no know, no more returns.
2: Why? No, no, they they had it in there, they had it in their thing, um, in their return policy, and they're like, I don't know why these pedals keep breaking on you. I mean, I you have to do what you have to do to get ahead. You have to make those sacrifices. You have to work hard. So, I wasn't afraid that I couldn't provide in the sense of giving the bare necessities. Um, but I was afraid because I had no idea that the my my future, right? And I think my family was too. My family was, you know, they didn't like the lady that I, you know, knocked up. They didn't. All they have is history behind them to say you're you're gonna be a, a young dad, no college education, um, no no bright future ahead of you, and now you gotta raise a kid. There was no no reason for them to have faith in me. But they did me a huge favor by by staying silent a lot of the times. They just they just kind of sat back and watched and let me, you know, make my own mistakes. And and you know, I get a lot of roses now. I get a lot of compliments now. Like I can't believe you're such a great father and this and that. Which which is it lets me know that that they didn't know what I was doing either. But the fact that they were there for me, I had that support, even if it was long distance, as you know, I haven't lived around my family and and majority of my adulthood, right? So um, even at, at you know nineteen, the, my rules was were, were very simple. Mm-hmm. My kid comes first it, before my relationship. Maybe that was a, a a deciding factor in the failure of our relationship. Is that I put our kid first, and she did the same. We we were no longer an item because our the thing that we cared for the most jointly, we we saw taking care of that entity our son in two vastly different directions mm. uh, but that was the that was the most important thing in, in in our lives at the time we just didn't know how to do it together both of us coming from broken homes and kind of the background of, of thinking that your kid is also something to some degree or your, your possession
1: I'm you glad know? you mentioned that because and I'm gonna go back briefly to your point that the rules that you live by and I'm paraphrasing, but the rule that you live by is that my kid come first. And mm-hmm. I think what happens when you have these blended families sometimes, and I'm not a, I'm not a parent, but when I've witnessed people have trying to navigate the space of blending families or sharing, you know, co-parenting and things of that nature, there are often times where, and I'm this is not a blanket statement, just things I've witnessed where women uh, struggle with putting the child first, they can't separate that. Yeah. Although the relationship did not work out. My number one priority is doing what's best for our child. So they kind of hold a person, a man's child above his head, keep him in the system, whatever the case may be. And I'm glad that I got to witness your fight, your struggle, watching you help develop my rules. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, if I'm going to be a dad, do I want to be a dad where? And we've had this conversation since then. But do I want to be a dad where I have to work three jobs and hustle like Ken is hustling? Or do I want to wait, establish myself and then have a child? Now, I think I overcorrected. I will say that at this point, you know, but at that time when I was watching you go through it, I was like, man, Ken is out here busting his butt to do something that I did not actually get to witness and experience with my father. You know, so I was like, man, I commend Ken and make sure I tell him like, yo, I appreciate what you're doing. As we've talked about so, so often throughout the years, we didn't always have the time to just really ascertain what we were going through. We were just going through it and trying to figure out as we were going through it. Mm -hmm. We raised each other a lot. We raised right. it, it, it. Not just you and I, all of us. Right. right. And um, we, we raised each other a lot. And there's so many things, so many jewels I've gotten from all of you. You're just one f- key component of our close knit brotherhood, mm-hmm. our, our family, you know, our friends. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to labor that, but I do want to acknowledge I saw how you struggled through some things and I saw how you persevere too. see some. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people don't talk. They see they see the end result. Like when people see me, because I, I haven't lived in Ohio in quite some time neither, right? right. Oftentimes, people, all people know is Brandon, They don't know B. Mm-hmm. So they don't know the struggles and the steps of getting to where I am now and where I plan to continue to go, which is another thing that I mentioned to you offline. Many people who listen to my podcast or who are in my personal life know I went to, I matriculated through a really good school. I went to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. But oftentimes, I I do not forget the reality that before I went to that school, I'm a product of of the community college system. I did not go, you didn't go to college right after high school. I didn't go to college right after high school. And my mother used to hound me about the importance of college. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to take it serious. One, because that good school we went to in high school, my counselor told me, College will never be in your future. I don't see it. You should go to the military. Well, you should go to trade school. That was his first thing he said. He said, you should go to trade school. So you need to go to Scarlet Oak. And then after that, you probably really need to consider joining the military. And guess what? I followed directions. Mm -hmm. I went to Scarlet Oaks and I joined the military. But I'm not going to lie and say that when he told me that college would never be in my future, that it hasn't stuck with me. It stuck with me. My mother used to house with me about going back to school and the importance of collegiate education. And I'd be like, I'll get back. I'll get back to it. You know, when I'm going to take it serious. So then it went from my mother dri- driving me crazy about it to you driving me crazy about it. Yo, B, <laughs> yo, I'm in school. I'm getting this GI bill check. You need to go back to school, bro. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, mom, dude, she on my back about it. I'm going to go. I just want to go when I'm willing to take it serious. Alright B so you give me like you give me like 2 3 months you double back yo B it's about to be spring semester you need to sign up for school yo ken man i remember when you told me like a couple months ago man like i'm gonna do it you know i'm not ready yet you know i was doing at that time i was working from home way before this work from home swag that you know thing they doing right now i was working from home then you talking about many moons ago you know what i'm saying so i was comfortable with the life i had at that time Make a fat one skinny, came to me one more time, you was like, Yo, bait. I don't think I pulled you pulled you in. So I think I was registering for my next,
2: yeah. my next semester. And I came to your house, not to cut off your version of the story,
1: but I, I I physically had to bring you with me to the school. I remember that. In my mind, and I probably said it out loud too. I was like, Man, F it Ken, let's go. Mm-hmm. If it's gonna get you to stop talking about it, cool. Mm-hmm. Let's go. So you can stop asking me every couple months. I think but, it's also
2: important to say, too, that you've seen me in school, right? Because mm-hmm. you came up to the school a couple times, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you know, picking me up or whatever it was, right, to me doing my homework at your place. Like, we, we, we've spent significant time even during that time, you know, together, where, you know, I think you saw, like, can Ken, Ken is at least in there. Sometimes it was only one class mm-hmm. you know, for that semester. Sometimes it was three or four, right? But for the most that, that's important to say, because there was there were times throughout that, those periods of me bothering you where I think that it in itself could have been annoying. Like, hmm. You know, come over here, and do it. I see what you're doing, Ken, you know. Mm-hmm. I, to don't, you.
1: I hope it I hope I didn't take it as, as an annoyance. One thing I do want people, our listeners to understand is My mother had not gone back to college yet, I don't think. You know, I think she might have had started. So you going to school and then my mother also, I believe, going to school at that same time. All of this is new. My mother's first generation college student. I'm second generation. So all of this is new. So couple that with having your high school counselor say college will never be in your future. I'm still dealing with that animal, right? But I am watching you do it. And I'm like, okay, Ken's making it happen. Yeah, it's only one course. But I didn't care if it was one course or not, at least you're doing it, right? Like I told you earlier, I appreciate that you you stayed on me about it. You didn't do the work. The work you did do was inspire me. You didn't do the work for me to get from Fayetteville Tech to Carolina, but I can't not forget, just like I cannot forget to acknowledge that Fayetteville Tech got me to Carolina, I can't I can't fail to acknowledge that you driving me crazy about it. Got me to Carolina as well. And that's one of those rules. Like one of the things that I appreciate about our friends is you might not like what your brother tell you, but I'm willing to tell you to save. you. So I might not have liked the rules or the constant reminder about beating up the topic about mm-hmm. go to school, Brandon. You need to get back in school. You might get, you need to get back in school. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate. Oh, my gosh. I appreciate that you cared enough about me to force me to go. Thank you. I I, I so really man. education is essential. Whatever form of education I've already I've already had this conversation briefly before and I'm gonna have someone else on the podcast. Education is essential. Whether you I decide think, to go.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think this is this is really also very important to state. College is a culture in our in our background, we didn't have that culture of education. Right now, my mom My mom had an, an associate's degree um, and I don't know if she got it while she was in the military or what have you, she, she did, and I didn't get a witness her her going through the process of her gaining an additional education. So I, I never saw that, right? Getting into college, I got rejected for about, for two years, every semester, and, and there were three semesters, we had a summer semester, right? I got rejected for two years every semester to get into college. I got rejected from financial aid. I got rejected from the entry-level exam. I got I got rejected multiple times, right? I would say that that was probably the best thing that could have happened because did I want to go to school? No, but I was doing it. And, and them rejecting me at that time, I probably would have failed out of every class I would have enrolled in. Because I wasn't ready for the culture of college, not even community college. I was too busy being where I wanted to be, with everything else, and not being where my head needed to be for college. Back to the rejection as a favor, huge favor for me at that time. But when I got in, it put me in a place where mentally, look, you you have you di- you didn't come this far to get into these entry level <laughs> programs and and these um what do they call it when when you're not i wasn't even at college speed i had, I had to take the remedial courses yeah the remedial courses, courses right? i had to take the remedial courses just to get to college level mm-hmm. right so by the time i got to college level 101s right mm-hmm. it was like it was like being, you know i would have loved to have you on that trip with me right cuz that's the new avenue I'm, anything that we we did if we could do it together we did it together
1: Right, good, bad, or in we, between.
2: We we have had it all, uh, right? Yeah, we, kinda, we did not just you and I, but but the rest of our brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they call us the fist. That that was pops. You know, pops mm-hmm. name it was the, the five of us were that close. We were so tight that if if, if uh, you know anyone tried to break up that fist, they were catching them. Right. So we the good, the bad, the ugly.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I'm
2: super, super proud of you and where you've taken, you know, the opportunities and created opportunities and, and made the relationships that you have now to, to get to where you are in a solution.
1: I appreciate that, bro. And that that's the question we'll get to at the end about loyalty and things of that nature. But I do want to I want to close in. the the conversation briefly, you know, we kind of went off on a tangent about education and and I did want to recognize you um, publicly for when people say to me, oh man, done some great things in life and you're an amazing man. Like I said before, that's one of the most important reasons for this podcast is because I'm not self-made. I've had a a praying grandmother Mm. that I hope I get the opportunity to interview in the future had a praying grandmother. Let's talk about, let me say that again for the people. I was not perfect. You and I were not perfect as teenagers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And there's oftentimes I know without a doubt that it was because as my grandmother said to me privately, you better be glad I'm praying for your ass. <laughs> 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 and Shout I out believed it. Shout out to granny. Shout out to granny. And I believed her because there's some things that I know I should have got jammed up in. And if it wasn't for a praying grandmother, if it wasn't for, for my mother, if it wasn't for mama Gwen, if it wasn't for me, not having my father, if it wasn't for pop, if it Mm -hmm. wasn't for y'all, I probably, I would not be the person that I am. And for the people that I did not recognize, if it wasn't for the fraternity, and be the man that I am. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for accepting the challenges of being a non-traditional student in my mid-20s, going back to school, struggling through remedial courses like you said, too. Because we didn't take high school serious. We went to go, not to learn. Throughout our 25-year friendship, we have discussed your viewpoints on your relationship with your father. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you becoming a father Help solidify a better relationship with your dad, and why?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely it did. I recognized not immediately. I had this, I had, I had a chip on my shoulder. When, when, okay, so let's take the culture of the '90s, right? We had a lot of uh, broken homes and a lot of various reasons why m- women were raising boys to be men. We weren't exempt from that, right? You and I, it was, it was part of the norm right in the 90s and not to say it's not normal now just saying that musicians uh artists rappers you know what i mean pop for instance right let's would, would, would take him where he was like you know giving praise to to the mother because he was raised in a single mother you know household to some extent and that's who we had as our idols that's who we had to look up to right and so being angry what, what, what did he say one of his lyrics was like um no love for my daddy because the coward wasn't there. That may have been his story, but that that, that thought process was adopted, you know, very commonly in our environment. The fact that I didn't see my dad on a regular basis uh, and he was taking care of his family, what he should have been doing, right? It's what he should have been doing. But in our environment, it was like, why are we living where we live? Why do we live with roaches? Why do we live in 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 a neighborhood that's this unsafe, why don't we have clothes? I remember um, going through uh, one school year where we didn't have many clothes that fit us. And my mom was doing the best that she could. And I would hate to go to my dad's house. He lived in a different state. I hate to go there because they didn't have to worry about the things we had to worry about. And it was uncomfortable to be in a place where... They were so privileged knowing I had to go back to a place where we were not. I, I gained this animosity for him. And then having a child at such a young age, and I remember this too. I was, uh, we had our own apartment at 17, my brother and I, 17 and 18. And I asked my dad, I, my, I worked right. So I had, I had myself set up, you know, my bed and everything. My brother didn't. I remember asking my dad for, uh, some money to get my brother a bed, and he told me no. And I was so offended. I ended up cussing him out. I treated him like 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 uh, like somebody on the street. Man, right? I, I cussed him out. Let him have it. And he had no idea where that animosity came from. He had no idea that I felt this way about him. The reality is, I did. I was entitled. Right. I, I felt entitled. I'm not asking for drug money. I'm not asking to get for bail money. I'm not asking to get myself out of something. I'm asking for money for a bed or buy the bed. I'll go pick it up. Right. And he told me no. He had every right to tell me no. But at 17, 18, that wasn't even an option. How dare you? How dare you tell me no? The struggles that we've had growing up and, and all we're trying to do is gain the minimum so we can continue to to, to work, you know, Tell me no. And then I realized, hey, in in time, right? Where you know your your kids mature, right? You don't see this process always and it's unfolding, right? You you see it looking back. Right. So so there was a time where I looked back and I I thought to myself, my relationship with my son's mother is none of my son's business. Not that I did something wrong and I need to take it or hide it from him. It's just that it doesn't matter where we're going, right? That's where we were. Those were the decisions that were made, you know, because we love you. We love you equally. And we, we created problems. And this is for all of my, all of my kids, right? Like if we we loved you equally, we still love you equally. And we just see about getting there two different ways. Two different ways. Can Can I
0: live? Can I live? Uh, my mind is infested With sick thoughts that circle like a Lexus If driven wrong, it sure to hurt you Do level like duplexes and unity. My crew and me commit atrocities like we got immunity. You, you guessed it. it. You Manifested it. In tangible goods. Platinum Rolexed it. We don't lease. We buy the whole car as you should. My confederation. Detonation. Explode on detonation. Overload the mind of the said patient. When it boils to steam, it comes to it. We all fiends. Gotta do it. Even righteous minds go through this. True this. The street schoolers to spend our money foolish. Bomb with jewelers and watch for intruders. I Stepped it up another level. Meditated like a Buddhist. Recruited lieutenants with ludicrous dreams are getting cream. Let's do this. It gets yes. So I keep one eye open like CBS. You see me stressed, right? Can I live? Can I live?
1: Can I live?
0: Can I live? Qui est la leve C'est pas trop